Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, hi, friends. I am coming live to you this morning on Friday, the 30th of December. 2022 is quickly coming to an end. Tomorrow, I'm going to give you some uh, some pro-life uh, reflections uh, on our various platforms, some uh, end-of-year pro-life reflections, New Year's reflections. Uh, but today, I want to reflect on the feast that we have today, celebrating it throughout the world, the Feast of the Holy Family. And there are tremendous uh, lessons that come from this feast, important cultural uh, lessons that come from the fact that what the church does today is to take a step back from the manger and shine the spotlight, which, which has been on the birth of the child. The spotlight has been on Jesus, of course, since Christmas. On New Year's Day, it'll turn to Mary because that's the feast of Mary, the mother of God. But today, the spotlight takes in Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And we reflect on the fact that in becoming human, Jesus made himself part of a human family. Makes sense, right? You're going to become human. Human beings belong in a family. Not everybody, unfortunately, has a family. but uh, Biologically, they do, of course. But those, those family members might not be faithful to their vocation. But Jesus made himself part of a family to show yet in another way, his total union with us. We're going to reflect on the Holy Family, draw out some lessons from it, draw encouragement from it today. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we thank you that your church focuses today on the Feast of the Holy Family, focuses today on the fact that you, Lord God, the almighty creator of the entire universe, the source of our lives, the king of all, the ruler of all, nevertheless decided to make yourself humble and submissive to Mary and Joseph and to allow them as frail human instruments to protect you. Oh God, we look to your protection every day. But in this instance, you allowed Joseph and Mary to protect you. Even though Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus, nevertheless, he was the faithful guardian. He was the humble servant. He was the quiet witness to what family life and fatherhood mean. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We bless you on this Feast of the Holy Family. And we know, Lord God, that first of all, we need to pray for all families, that they might be strong because of the role the family plays for the good of society and the church. And we, Lord, also know that we need to witness to and defend your plan for the family at a time when family is being torn apart deliberately by those who want to rewrite your plan for the family for marriage, for human life. Let this feast, therefore, invigorate and enlighten our pro-life, pro-family commitment. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Well, there's many biblical passages here relative to the Holy Family. Um, let's read one of them that comes uh, right after the story about the Magi and Herod summoning these Magi to ask about this newborn king of the Jews. And then in Matthew 2, 13, it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Well, brothers and sisters, just the other day we, we focused, the day before yesterday, on the Feast of the Holy Innocents. We focused on this event of Herod slaughtering the babies. This is happening today, right? The Herods of our day are slaughtering the babies by abortion. And we focused on the fact that right after the joyful event of the birth of Christ, you have the shadow of the cross. Right after the welcoming of the king of life, you have the push from the king of death, Satan himself. The hatred, the envy, uh, the wickedness, the lack of regard for human life is on full display in the slaughter of the innocents. But what do we see here? The protection of the father. The protection of the father. St. Joseph. Now, my father, as you know, just passed away the day before yesterday, and his name is Joseph. So I always um, reflected on the role of St. Joseph in the family and was his patron saint, of course. And the amazing thing, which I mentioned in the prayer already, is that in the case of Joseph, we have a we have somebody protecting God. God's the one who protects us. We say to him every day, Lord, protect me, save me. You saw in this scripture passage, God entrusted the protection of God to Joseph. He goes to him in the dream. Take the child, take his mother, flee. Flee from the forces of death. Flee from the murderous kings. Flee to protect God. Notice Joseph doesn't say anything in the scriptures. I think one of the reasons might be you learn to keep quiet when every morning for breakfast you go down and you find the incarnate Son of God and the Immaculate Conception sitting there. There's not much to say. You listen. That's what you do. I think that's why Joseph is silent in the scriptures because, you know, when you're living with Jesus and Mary, you listen. You listen. Joseph, in the context of the abortion issue, gives us the reminder that abortion is often as much the sin of the father as of the mother. How many abortions are forced by fathers? Too many. How many abortions come about because the father of that baby mistakenly thinks that the best thing he can say is, oh, well, it's up to you. It's your choice. I want to respect your choice. Now, he may be sincere in that. Or it may be an excuse for his own unwillingness to be a father. Whatever it is. Or his fear of being a father. You know, we have to pray. For fathers who are afraid to be fathers, for mothers who are afraid to be mothers. And the first thing we have to help, help them both understand is that once that baby is in the womb, they are already fathers or mothers. It's not a choice to become a father. 
it's a, an established fact that's already there. The baby exists. You're the father. What do fathers have to do? Not to say, oh, it's your choice. Because what that does to that mother is isolates her, makes her feel like, okay, now I, now the burden is all on me. Now I have to deal with this. And he's putting this choice just on me. What does that do if not isolate her? Make her feel more alone. Make the burden of the pregnancy and the life or death choice involved in abortion more on her shoulders. And therefore, what does that do? That increased isolation increases the temptation to abort. We know this from the work we do with those that have had abortions and the Silent No More campaign in Rachel's Vineyard. We have to spread the word to the, to the guys out there. Hey, listen, this is not the right thing to say. Oh, well, it's your choice. I'm going to leave it up to you. You don't leave it up to her. You step up to the plate and you say, we're going to get through this. And I'm going to do the right thing for you and our child. Now, that right thing doesn't necessarily mean that they're called to be married. That right thing might not even mean that the father is going to be in the life of that child. The right thing means that during that pregnancy, you're going to choose to do what's right, not to kill that child, not to escape, run away from responsibility by having that abortion. So many fathers, on the other hand, instead of running away, try to save the life of that child. So many fathers are inspired to follow the example of St. Joseph and say, I'm going to protect my child because that's my child. The law doesn't change that. The law doesn't give the father any right. But now, by the way, that could change. You know, the Supreme Court stood in the way of father's rights for a long time, just like it stood in the way of baby's rights. But now with the Dobbs decision, states are free to pass laws that involve the father again. If they're going to keep abortion legal, in certain places, they can pass laws saying, well, it can only be done with the consent of the father, just like they can pass laws and have done so in most states, saying it can't be done without the consent of the parents of that mom who wants an abortion. So, so many fathers have tried to save the lives of their children, haven't been able to do so. And so they grieve. But the fact that the law doesn't give them the right to stop the abortion, well, the flip side of rights is responsibilities. These kinds of laws that don't allow a father to intervene to save the life of his child from dismemberment foster irresponsibility, foster the idea that, well, why should I take the burden of raising this child and, you know, she can abort it without my involvement. And knowing that she can abort the baby without his involvement also leads to another, it's a psychological dynamic. We see this in the, the work of healing those who've had abortion. Think about it this way. If you're the father and you know that, that, that you are now the father of an unborn child who's been conceived, but you also know that in the next nine months, she can decide all on her own whether you want it or not, to go kill that child, what is that going to make you do? That's going to make you back away from becoming emotionally attached to that baby. Why should you run the risk 
I'm not saying this is the right approach. I'm saying this is the exactly what actually happens in a lot of cases. They think, well, why should I run the risk of getting attached to this baby, of bonding with this baby during this pregnancy, if at any moment she can go have the child chopped to pieces? And then what? where does that leave me? Except with a whole lot of emotional distress. I, 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 the very fact that she can go make, get that abortion on her own destroys a lot of the motivation and the bonding between the father and the baby. And then if, in fact, she goes ahead and gives birth to the baby, that father's relationship with that baby is already damaged, is already weakened, because he has had a hesitant bonding. He has had an arm's distance relationship emotionally with that baby because for fear of being hurt beyond words if that abortion were to occur. Let's look at another scripture that talks about another dimension of uh, the Holy Family. This is now after Herod slays the babies. God have mercy on the Herods of today. Verse 19 in Matthew 2. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Notice again, God keeps using Joseph, using Joseph. Saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus reigned over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and dwelt there in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. And that, of course, then is where Jesus lived with Mary and Joseph for so many years. Imagine, well, we hear this, this later, too. Let me just jump to Luke, Luke chapter 2. Mary and Joseph present the, the child Jesus according to the law in the temple. And then verse 39 says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, just like the Matthew's gospel just said, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, the Holy Family. A little bit later on, it talks about the losing them losing the child Jesus in the temple, and then they found him talking with the doctors and answering their questions. And then it says here, this is uh, verse 50 in Luke 2, they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Imagine all the conversations. You know, we thirst for the words of Jesus. We analyze and study and compare and dig into every word of Jesus we can find in the Gospels. And there aren't all that many of them when you consider his entire life. In fact, John says at the end of his gospel that were all the, uh, the deeds and words of Jesus that are not recorded in the gospel were to be recorded, the whole world, I suppose, would not contain the books that would have to be written. But imagine how many of those words and deeds were witnessed 
by Mary and Joseph. Imagine the conversations. Remember, every word of Jesus is the word of God. It's like they had their own living Bible every day. New, ch new chapters of the Bible every day. That's what it was like for Mary and Joseph sit sitting down with, with, with Jesus, having conversations, taking walks, whatever the things they did, doing their work. A new chapter of the Bible in living color giving, given to you every single day. We're going to have quite a few conversations in heaven about what were those things. I mean, every word of Jesus is a revelation. Look how we study and ponder those words. We stand up in church when the gospel is read because we know we're about to hear the words of Jesus. Wow. The holy family. Let me give you one more thought. The, the family is the sanctuary of life. You know, I worked at the Vatican for a couple of years. I was an official of the Pontifical Council for the Family, which at that time, the way the Vatican was structured was the pro-life office. Uh, it still exists. It's been merged with a couple of other entities. Under St. John Paul II, this was 1997 to 1999, he had just come out with the encyclical, The Gospel of Life. And the thing we often talked about in that office was, we said it like this, non c'è familia senza vita, non c'è vita senza familia, if you know Italian. No family without life, no life without family. The interrelationship, the interlocking in God's plan of family and life, the defense of life goes hand in hand with the defense of family, doesn't it? First of all, the family is the sanctuary of life. And John Paul II in Evangelium Vitae points out that this is one of the reasons that abortion has a higher magnitude of evil than other forms of killing. Killing is killing. Killing is bad. Every person who gets killed is of equal value, but not every way of killing is equal. Every person's dignity is equal, but not every method of killing them is equal. Some are more horrendous than others. And abortion is the most horrendous. And John Paul II says this. One of the reasons is it takes place within the sanctuary of life, which is the family. It's bad enough if a baby is killed. It's worse if the baby is killed by his own mother or with the cooperation of both the mother and the father. It's worse. I tell you how little people understand the magnitude of abortion. The church doesn't understand. People don't understand. We got to wake them up. So the fact that it's in the sanctuary of the family makes it worse. If you can, if you can destroy the relationship between a mother and her unborn child, the damage you're doing to the whole society, to the whole world, is is is, is incalculable. The family, John Paul II said, is the cell. Of society. If the cells of the body aren't healthy, the, the body's not healthy. If the family isn't healthy, society is not healthy. I remember Dr. Dolores Bernadette Greer. She was chancellor in the Archdiocese of New York under Cardinal O'Connor. She was a great friend and supporter of Priests for Life. She passed away. But Dolores was, talked about the evangelization of the family. And I remember her saying, this was back in the 90s, at the beginning of my priest for life work, she said, she said, to evangelize the family today 
Here's the first challenge. You got to find the family. Where is it? Healthy society demands healthy families. Healthy families are only going to come about, brothers and sisters, if we defend God's plan for marriage and family. Family begins with marriage. And in fact, in order for a marriage to be valid, to be valid, mind you, that mom, that dad, that husband, that wife have to be open to being moms and dads. They have to be open to the gift of life. Now, nobody can promise that they're going to have children. They can promise that they're going to try. And they can promise that they will welcome them if they get conceived. But we know that the cross of infertility that many couples carry, it's not guaranteed that if you do all the things that are necessary to do to conceive a child, that a child is going to be conceived. But there has to be the openness. There doesn't even have to be the physical ability for the marriage to be valid because older people who are beyond childbearing age can also validly get married. The point is they haven't closed the door of their heart to life. Their body not might not be any able anymore to conceive a new life, but that, that, that doesn't mean you close your heart to it. What's necessary for the validity of a marriage? And they're asked, the couple is asked this question in the ceremony before they exchange their vows, is will you accept the gift of new life from God? They have to say yes. Just like they have to say they'll be faithful until death. If someone goes into marriage and they've got the idea, okay, I'm going into a 10-year agreement here. I'm going into a one-year agreement. We'll see how, see how we feel after the end of the year. You know what? They can go through the ceremony. Marriage isn't valid. It's the spouses that confer the sacrament of marriage on one another. The priest is, is the witness. The priest or deacon, they're an official witness. Their witness is necessary. But it's the man and the woman bestowing the sacrament on each other. So they've got to do it right. In order to do it right, they've got to be saying yes to the right thing. What are they saying yes to? A permanent commitment, number one. If they're saying yes to a 10-year commitment, it doesn't work. And a commitment open to life. Why? Because God is love and God is life. Marriage ultimately is reflective of the marriage between Christ and his church. That is complete fidelity and that is fruitfulness. The love gives birth to life, just like the love of the Father and the Son give rise to the Holy Spirit. And we defend God's plan for marriage, not only as a permanent union dissolved only by death, not only a fruitful union open to the gift of life, but also one man, one woman. How is it these days that we can't say a man is a man and a woman is a woman? Like I've been saying, maybe it's because for 20, for, for 20, for 50 years, we've been saying a baby's not a baby. The truth of marriage and family are not only rooted in moral principle, they're rooted in biology. God expresses himself through creation. You create the human body. That body, A, is human, and B, is either a human male or a human female. That's it. If you don't acknowledge that biological reality, you're harming yourself because you're divorcing yourself from truth. Just like you're harming yourself if you don't 
if you if you don't admit the real the reality the physical reality of gravity and try to walk off a cliff you deny that a baby is a baby well the logical result of that is going to be to deny that a man is a man or a woman is a woman the reality of who that baby is is just as much based in biology as the gender is we can't mess around with this stuff you wonder why we have piles and piles of dead babies from abortion, 65 and a half million of them since Roe v. Wade. How have we gotten to this utter disregard for human life? Well, you tamper with the sources of human life. You disrespect the sources of human life. And you're going to end up disrespecting the life itself. Let's defend life. Let's defend marriage. Let's defend family. Let's point out that the family is the sanctuary of life. It's the basic cell of society. We've got to have strong families. We've got to find the family. And then we've got to evangelize the family. And we've got to turn to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph and ask them to pray for moms and dads who are afraid to be moms and dads. And pray for those babies' safety. You know, I want to thank you for your ongoing outpouring of support for me, not only in these days when when uh, I'm with my family uh, grieving the loss of, of dad, but... Also, having been dismissed from the priesthood, what a what a what the heck is this? I continue to humbly knock on the door of the Pope. Please readmit me to the priesthood. I'm going to give you a reflection uh, one of these upcoming days about my priestly ministry, and uh, I'm going to give you a reflection. I know much many of my brother priests will will benefit from it as well. Uh, I want to tell you some of the things that shape my priestly uh, identity. But I keep knocking at the door. I'm, I'm asking the Holy Father directly, would you please let me serve as a priest? There's so many people that they, 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 they there are some that walk away from their priesthood. I'm doing exactly the opposite. I'm knocking on the door. Let me back in. We got a good thing going here. And there's a good thing going here too with our pro-life work. And that's why, again, I'm so grateful for all you guys sticking with us. We've got a lot of work to do. We're going to protect these babies. We're going to end abortion. We're going to do that. And brothers and sisters, the uh, reflections on the Holy Family lead me to one more thought. And that is... Um, so many people have been saying to me, and some of you are saying it even today in the comments, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm still going to call you father because you are a father to me. Got a text here. Let me just text here this morning from a longtime friend who is a uh, deacon. He's a deacon in the, in the church. And he said, oh, it wasn't a text. It was an email. And he said, I will always call you Father Frank. Because if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be where I am. You instructed me in the diaconate formation program. Taught me what it meant to serve in the ordained ministry. And gave me the passion to defend the unborn. You will always be father to me. You know, that's why priests are called father. Now, I'm not saying that I'm not obeying the 
the church and 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 I mean you see my title there we'll get put it back up pro-life leader Frank Pavone that's what I'm going by until the, the Pope reinstates me uh, I'm I'm complying of course with although I although to this day I haven't received any directive by the way I don't have a text a phone call a, a piece of paper a mail a letter giving me any instructions even telling me that this actually happened we know that this happened but they haven't told me yet they apparently told the media they told the bishops they they forgot somebody hey tell me i haven't done it yet that's okay i, I know what's going on but it is it is fascinating isn't it that they haven't told me and, and so in not telling me the fact of what they just did they haven't told me giving me any instructions some people say oh well you're kind of are you still father can you wear your your priest outfit can you celebrate mass even just privately but Hey, listen, I've never been through this before. I've received no instructions whatsoever. So be that as it may, the point I want to make, more important point is this. There's a reason why priests are called father. Because they give life. And they protect life. And they nurture life. Many of you have been with me for a long time. Or even if you've been with me for a short time. If in reflections, just like we've had here today, or in my preachings or writings or counsel, you've received strengthening of your faith, I have been able to be a father to you, imparting a growth in your faith. I pray every day for the, the children I baptized over the years, couples whose weddings I witnessed, the people I've absolved in confession, the people to whom I've given the body of Christ in communion. I pray for all of them every day. Of course, not necessarily by name, but I say, Lord, bless all the people I've baptized and preached to and absolved and anointed and given communion to. That's his fatherhood. It's giving life. A person who has received life isn't going to stop considering that father a father. Not, and that's, see, that's the reality that piece of paper doesn't take away. I haven't even seen the piece of paper yet, but the piece of paper, whether I see it or not, it doesn't take away that relationship. And they, see, that's why I'm so confident about the path forward here, us working together in this, because we're giving each other life. You give me so much inspiration. I learn so much from you. It's just, that's the reality, right? The reality is in the relationship, not some kind of bureaucratic piece of paper. Not that we don't respect the authority. We respect authority, but listen, we don't respect the abuse of authority. And don't let anyone tell you that you have to respect the abuse of authority. You don't. We can't. Let me look at some of the comments here before I go. Um, let's see. Let's Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Holy Family, intercede for all the families. Father Frank will continue to stand by you. Uh, thank you, uh, Mama, Mommy. Um, uh, Jesus Loves You was saying to me, hey, Father, get on a plane and go to Rome. Maybe it's fake news. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Talk about fake news. Uh, let's see. Stay humble, Father. God is working always. P, thank you. And the gins. Yes, humility is always the way. 
Uh, you know, your humility too. You know, what humility ultimately means is, Lord, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to say, and wherever you want me to be, that's where I'll be. If you want me in a hidden little corner, I'll be just as happy there. If you want me in front of microphones, platforms, and bright lights and big crowds, I'll be there too. Humility, in other words, takes us wherever the Lord wants us to serve him. Humility is, you know, your will, Lord, not mine. That's what it, that's what, what it is. That's always the path, always the path forward. Um, Jan Eastman, uh, the Pope lacks communication. You cannot run a church without this component. Yeah, and, you know, this 21-year history of the abuse of authority against me, which you can read at frfrankpavone.com. And I hope you all do, by the way. There's a lot of commentary going back and forth, a lot of speculation. Uh, it's frfrankpavone.com. Um, we, we lay it all out there. We were an open book. Uh, Lois, thank you for what you said. Uh, they are after you because you support Trump. Yeah, you know, they, they've even told me that. Um, you may know I've, I've fully endorsed President Trump for his 2024 uh, re-election. Friends, whether you do or not, listen, we've been through the best presidential administration this country has ever seen. Right in front of our faces, right in front of our eyes. And it's just sad uh, to me that so many Americans missed it they lived through it but they missed it they didn't realize how how great president trump how great of a leader how great of a president he is how great of a leader how great of a president he can be again he's the only one who can say i did it a lot of others have done great things at other levels of government he's the only one who can say as president i made this country great and i can do it again Antonia is saying, I've been nurtured by the homilies and masses of Father Pavone. Thank you. Well, you'll continue to get my, my preaching, you know, as, as from coming from the, the, the lay state, but you'll continue to get, um, you'll continue to get my words, no doubt. You know, you know, because I have to be obedient to Jesus, as who said, you don't put the, the light under a bushel basket. You, you don't hide your talents and bury them in the ground. Remember, Jesus gave out the talents and then he comes back and he says, show me the fruit. And he condemns the one who hid the talents in the ground. I'm not going to, I'll be obedient and cooperative with the church, but that doesn't mean I'm going to, they can't command me to, to, you know, uh, put your talents on ice, put, bury them in the ground, you know, don't share your ability to teach and to instruct and to inspire. And nobody can, listen, nobody can do that. Nobody can tell you that. To take your talents and bury them. Take your light and hide it. Stop talking. Stop witnessing. Stop sharing. Stop helping people with the gifts God has given you. You and I are going to be judged based on what God gave us, not on what he didn't give someone else. Use your gifts. I'm going to continue to use mine. Louisa Victoria Olson, thank you, Father, for defending the unborn. God bless you always. Thank you. God bless you, too. Um, Edwin is saying, try to cool down for a while. Well, you know, um, uh, I was pretty cool on the day this happened. I, I was, some of you may have heard the story. I was taping in the, the TV studio. My, one of my staff people called me out into the hallway, told me what happened. I looked at the, well, tell me I had a look at my text. I take a look. I saw the message. I turned around. I went back into the studio and I kept taping for an hour. That's a pretty cool reaction. 
And the things I've been doing in response to it, well, first of all, I'm still waiting for it. You can't get any more cool than that. I mean, you haven't gotten the, you haven't gotten the, you haven't gotten the word. <laughs> you got to wait for it. No, but I've been doing what I've always been doing. See, that's the point. I mean, we, and by the way, we have to defend ourselves. Don't let anybody tell you that if you get attacked, you know. I mean, being cool, and I, I and it's not that you, that you mean this, but being cool doesn't mean being passive. It doesn't mean that you don't defend yourself, or that you don't speak up. This is one of the problems in the church. This is one of the big problems. We got, let's see if I have it here. We've got, I don't have any tape here. We've got tape over our mouths. That's not of God. That's not of God. Listen, friends, um, you are great. Thank you for too many comments here to even... Um, Oh, one other thing. Call your bishop. Read the history there at frfrankpavone.com. I was instructed a long time ago to stop communicating with him. The man is an abuser. He abuses his authority. And you read the story, it's 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 clear. Um, protect yourself from abusers. Protect yourself. Trust me on this. It's been a long, long road with this man. He's an abuser. And um, I've communicated with uh, everyone in the church that I need to communicate with. Um, but really, it's a bad, bad... I mean, you heard the story. The Vatican 10 years ago cleared me of his complaints and his restrictions on my ministry, told him to be generous in letting me do my work. He comes, turns around and tells me, oh, the Vatican told me I couldn't couldn't let you do your work. So I flew to Rome and I said, did you tell him he couldn't? I couldn't do my work? And they said, no, we told him the opposite. We told him to be generous to let you do your work. Could any of you please tell me then, would, would you trust any communication from him after that? I mean, either he's incapable of understanding the, the simple directive from, from the Vatican, or he deliberately misrepresented it to me. That's called a lie. Do you keep using him as your you know reference point? You tell me. Any kind of advice on that? Boy, oh boy, I'd be really, really interested. Okay, so Feast of the Holy Family. I uh, hope that our uh, little bit of reflection on this today helps you continue to pray uh, for my family. Thanks for your condolences about my father. And uh, listen, we are moving forward with strength, with joy in the Lord. As I said the other day, Psalm 34, verse 1, I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. I hope you do the same. Happy New Year. I'm going to share with you over the weekend some New Year's reflections. I love New Year's Eve. I love New Year's Day. New chapter, new bright uh, white pages of life to write the story of how we serve and in this movement of how we save our youngest brothers and sisters. God bless you, friends. May the Lord bless all of us. May he pour out his blessings upon us. 
May he keep us safe. May he keep us joyful. May he give us salvation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talk to you tomorrow. God bless. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.